Father, I pray today that you'd speak to us mightily by the power of your word and spirit. We give you praise. We thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen and amen and amen. I'm going to read you a passage of scripture this morning out of the book of John chapter 4, beginning at verse 35, and this is what it says. Do not say, there are still four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. I feel like praying over this message again. Father, bless this word in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. There's a problem that's going on in the, in the state of California and actually across the nation and even across the world, but it's very poignant for us here in the state of California. And that problem is a labor shortage in the farming industry. There's a labor shortage in the farming industry. Specifically, this labor shortage transpires right around harvest time. And I read multiple reports of this. and one report I read by, it was a, about a farmer in, near Watsonville, and um, his, his farm is near Watsonville, and his name is Tony Serrano. And he said, you know, when I first opened my farm, every day there were laborers gathered outside my gate begging me for a job. He goes, now it's me going to the gates begging for laborers. And what happened in the last couple of harvests is that he's got all of these different crops. He's got squash and zucchini and, and a bunch of different things. But then he's also got fruit. He's got strawberries and, and, and a, bunch of, a bunch of stuff. He had to let the fruit die on the vine because he only had enough laborers to gather the squash. And since the squash was how he made most of his money, he prioritized the squash. So with the handful of laborers that he had at harvest time, he was able to just gather the squash, but he wasn't even able to gather 100% of his squash harvest. So there was this huge harvest that was ready. There was just nobody to gather it. And so the harvest died in the field, not because there was anything wrong with the harvest, but simply because there are no laborers to go out into the field and bring it in. The harvest was ready, but the laborers were few. Now, in this passage of Scripture, Jesus is passing through the city of Samaria, which is actually very significant. If you read John chapter 4, Jesus was heading from Galilee to Jerusalem, but in order to get there, he decided to pass through the city of Samaria. Now, I say he decided to pass through the city of Samaria because it was not common for Jews who were on their way to Jerusalem to pass through Samaria to get there, even though the shortest route was through Samaria. The problem was that there was hostility between the Samaritans and the Jews. And the Jews looked down on the Samaritans because they were mixed breeds. They weren't pure Israelites. They mixed and mingled with the Assyrians who had taken the rest of them captive in 722 B.C. And out of this mixture of Jews and Assyrians came the Samaritans. 
And they were their own enclave. And really, they had their own religion, and they had their own practices and their own belief structure. And the Jews looked down upon them and would not speak to them, would not converse with them, would not mingle with them. And so if a Jewish person needed to get to Jerusalem, instead of passing through Samaria, they would cross the Jordan River, go past Samaria, and then cross back across the Jordan River to enter into Jerusalem, which added a considerable amount of hardship and time to their journey. But Jesus says to his disciples, we're going to Jerusalem. They said, great. And they started putting on their mud boots, you know, and getting their ropes to cross the river. He says, no, 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 you don't need none of that. But Lord, I thought you said we're going to, to, to Jerusalem. Yeah, we're going to Jerusalem, but we're going through Samaria. And the disciples are like, what are you talking about? The first thing that Jesus does is he begins to take the disciples where they don't want to go. If you decide to follow Jesus, he's going to lead you into some places that you don't want to go. He's going to lead you to converse with some people that you don't want to talk to and to mingle with some folks that you don't want to mingle with. So they go through Samaria and they find a city called Sychar and Jacob's well was there. Jesus sits at the well and says to his disciples, go into the city and find food, which forces the disciples into even deeper engagement with people that they don't want to talk to at all. The disciples are thinking, can we just get through? Can we just prep? We'll find some food after we get through Samaria. Jesus says, no, we're stopping in Samaria. And then he has this encounter with the woman at the well. Very well-known passage that we know of. She comes to the well at 3 o'clock in the afternoon because she's an outcast in her community. She's an outcast in her community because she goes through men like changes of clothes. She changes out of one man and into another man. And men just keep throwing her away. And finally, the man she's with won't even give, him her, give her his name. He would only give her his bed. Jesus waits for this woman, knowing he has a divine appointment with this woman. So he takes his disciples into a city where they don't want to talk to anybody. And then he waits at the well for a woman that nobody wants to talk to. So they're passing through a city of outcasts. And Jesus waits to meet with the outcast of outcasts. All of them are outcasts, but this woman is an outcast among the outcasts. And Jesus says, that's who I'm looking for. I'm looking for the outcast of outcasts. I'm looking for the one who's been shunned by the shunned. The one who has been rejected by the rejected. The one who is at the bottom of the bottom. The one that nobody would look at. The woman, the one that nobody would think of. The one that nobody has any inclination that there's anything in this woman's life that's salvageable. She's garbage. She's trash. Jesus said, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the trash because one man's trash is another man's treasure. And Jesus waits, and he has this epic encounter with this woman at the well. He asks her for something to drink. She says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, for something to drink? What she's literally saying is, you're not supposed to be talking to me. I'm an outcast of outcasts. Not even the Samaritans will talk to me. How is it that you will talk to me? And how is it that you ask me to give you something to drink? Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it was who asked you for a drink, you would ask him and he'd give you living water. You drink it and you never thirst again. And she says, amen. And she says, hold on a second. You're telling me you got water that I can drink and never thirst again? Jesus said, yeah, that's right. 
She says, give me this water so I don't have to come to this well anymore. She's thinking Jesus is there to, to rescue her from her embarrassment. Because every day at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, she walks to this well by herself, and she's a spectacle to the whole town. The women of the town look outside their windows and see her walking to the well by herself. All the women of the town gather at the well at 9 a.m. to get water for the day. She's not there. She can't be there. 3 o'clock in the afternoon, they watch her going to her daily trek to the well, and they look out the window, and they talk about her. Look, there goes that heifer now. Mm-hmm. Go get your water. Mm-hmm. That's right, you better not come at 9 a.m. if you know what's good for you. They talk bad about her. And Jesus says, if you knew who asked you for a drink, you'd ask him. And she says, give me the water because I'm tired of being looked at and scoffed at and mocked by this community. I'm tired of being an outcast. All I want you to do is rescue me from my embarrassment. And Jesus says, go get your husband. And now Jesus exposes her. The moment she says, rescue me from my embarrassment, he exposes her even more deeply. Go get your husband. I don't have a husband. You're right, you don't have a husband. You had four husbands, and the man you're with now is not your husband. So you're right when you said you don't have a husband. She says, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers say worship on this mountain. The Jews say worship on that mountain. One day Messiah is going to come, and he's going to tell us what mountain to worship on. And Jesus says, The day is coming, even now is, when those who worship the Father will neither worship on this mountain or that mountain, but they'll worship in spirit and in truth. Those are the kind of worshipers the Father is looking for. But by the way, the Messiah you're waiting for, I who speak to you am he. Jesus reveals himself to her. This is the only place in the New Testament where Jesus speaks those words to anybody. I who speak to you am he. This is the only place. Every other time he told people he wasn't the Messiah. But to her, he says, shh. Don't tell nobody. But I who speak to you am he. He reveals himself in the place where he finds the broke, busted, and disgusted. He reveals himself in the place where he finds the dejected and rejected. He reveals himself in the place where he finds the outcasts, the people that nobody want. He reveals himself where he finds the person with no reputation, has no popularity. He says, don't tell nobody, but I who speak to you am he. I'm the one you've been waiting for, the one you've been looking for, the one who's here to tell you what you didn't know. And she jumps up and she's like, this is the craziest thing. Are you serious? This is the craziest thing. This is the most, I never thought in my life that I would get to speak to the Messiah. It's not just a Jewish man talking to me, but the Messiah is talking to me. I mean, I don't even get to talk to people in this community, but I'm talking to God. God is talking to me when nobody else will talk to me. God favors me when nobody else favors me. God looks at me when nobody else looks at me. And just then the disciples walk up. Newsflash, he hadn't even told them that he was the Messiah. He revealed to this woman something he hadn't even revealed to his closest associates, companions, disciples, and believers. And the revelation of who Jesus was was so incredibly ecstatic to her that it overwhelmed her embarrassment. She, the first thing she lost was her shame and her embarrassment. Her desire to hide was gone. She came out of the closet in that moment. She came out of the darkness and into the light in that moment. She came out of hiding in that moment. Now watch this awkward moment. The disciples walk up. 
and they see Jesus talking to this Samaritan woman, and they got these stank-faced looks on their faces like, what? What the? But they're, they're too scared to say it to Jesus, so they're just looking at her crazy. What you doing talking to him? You get, better get out of here. It's an awkward moment because the disciples are like, what is he doing talking to this woman? This is crazy. This is wrong. This is out of control. But she is too free to be ashamed or even feel awkward about it. She's just just in joy, just jumping up and down. She's so excited. She is free. And it says, leaving her water pots behind. She was so excited that she forgot what she came there for. Sometimes you get something better than what you came for, and so you leave behind what you came to get. (laughs) Leaving her water pots behind, she went into the town and told everybody. She did what the disciples didn't even do. The apostles, the 12 apostles of the Lamb, go into the town and come back with no fruit. But a worthless woman who gets a revelation of who Jesus is, in in the strength and joy of that revelation, runs into the town and comes back with the whole town. Brings the whole town to Jesus. And then Jesus sits and teaches the whole town of Sychar in the city of Samaria. Which is crazy because this was a place where the disciples believed there's nobody here that'd be interested in hearing Jesus. Nobody here would be receptive to the message of Jesus. Matter of fact, this is a dangerous place for Jesus to be. We need to get Jesus out of here before somebody robs Jesus. We need to get Jesus out of here before somebody heckles Jesus. They thought that this was the last place where anybody would believe Jesus, but it turned out to be the place where everybody was ready to believe Jesus. More so than in Jerusalem, more so than in Galilee, more so than in any place Jesus had been. He had never been to a place where the entire town, the entire city came out to hear him. And at the end of that meeting, what did they say? They looked at the woman, they said, when we came, we just believed you. But now that we've heard him, we believe him. Translation, when this exchange began, our faith was because of you. But now that we've met Jesus, our faith is because of him. Now we have a personal relationship with him that's not dependent on who you are or what you do. And then Jesus sits with his disciples who are bewildered by the whole thing because they never thought anybody in that town would be ready to hear Jesus. And honestly, they didn't want anybody in that town to want to hear Jesus. They would have much rather Jesus called down fire from heaven to consume them. They wanted judgment on that town. They didn't want salvation in that town. And then Jesus sits with his disciples after the people leave. And he says to his disciples, this was a lesson for you. Behold, the field is white under harvest. 
Jesus said, when, when you came into this town, you saw a bunch of hostile people that you didn't want to be around. When I came into this town, I saw a field that was white under harvest. Jesus is literally saying to us today that the kingdom of God has the same problem that California farmers have. The kingdom of God has the same problem that California farmers have. There's a field that is white under harvest. The fruit is ready to be picked off the vine, but nobody is willing to go get it. And instead, all we talk about is how Christianity is declining in America. We just see America and even around the world, the world is becoming the new Samaria, where we just believe that everybody is hostile to Jesus and nobody wants to hear Jesus and we just need to kind of huddle up inside the church because nobody out there wants to hear him and nobody out there is ready to believe him. But Jesus says, lift up your eyes. The field is white under harvest. The problem is not the field. We tend to think the problem is the field. The problem is the world. The world is antichrist and full of antichrists and the spirit of antichrist. And it's true, the spirit of antichrist has already gone out into the world. But among them, in the midst of them, There is a field that is white under harvest. That means that around the world, there are millions and even billions of people who are ready to be picked. There's just nobody to pick them. Ready to turn to Christ. Even in this Bay Area of 9 million people where only 4% of people know Jesus, the field is white under harvest. You say the Bay Area doesn't want Jesus. That's a lie. The field is white under harvest. It's not a field problem. It's a laborer problem. And God is now like a farmer. Jesus is now like a California farmer who's begging laborers. Somebody come work with me in this field. The harvest is ready, but nobody's willing to go reap the harvest. The harvest is ready, but nobody's willing to reap the harvest. Now, I did a little digging. I wanted to know what caused this shortage of laborers in the state of California specifically. Why is it that farmers are now begging laborers to come? Now, I must confess that there is a combination of factors that has led to this shortage. But there's one, and matter of fact, there have been seasons like this throughout the history of the world in which whole harvests have died on the vine in countries around the world because of factors in the world that caused a shortage, a decrease of laborers. But in the state of California, one of the causes that stood out to me was generational. The generation of laborers who begged for work have had children And their children are not interested in harvesting fruit anymore. The generation of laborers who harvested the fields have had children, and they are now aging out. And their children are no longer interested in harvesting fields. Now, let me, an aside to that is to say that that's socio-politically, geographically speaking, that's understandable. Okay, so I'm not, I'm not criticizing that generation. Yeah. 
This is not a criticism. But in the kingdom, this is a problem. Because there was a generation of laborers whose heart beat for the harvest. And that generation has aged out. And their children are no longer interested in reaching the harvest. We are that generation. We are that generation. And if you want proof, just ask yourself, when was the last time you shared the gospel with anyone? And if you, in yourself, before the Lord, I'm not asking for a show of hands or anything like that. If you say, I've never done it, you're part of that generation. If you say, I've done it, but it's been so many years I don't remember, you're part of that generation. I did it once in my life. That's us. Let's just say, that's us. That's us. But I've got good news for you today. This is not to tear you down or beat you up. This is, this is to empower you. There's a brother in our congregation right now. His name is Michael Sanchez. I call him Pastor Michael Sanchez. And I'll tell you why. Because he called me a couple weeks ago, about three weeks ago, and he said, Pastor, there's just a few people around our area. They moved up to Petaluma. Uh, Michael and, and Veronica and their kids and their family, they've been with us. Just wave and say hi. They're right there. They've been with us for many years. How many years have you guys been in our church? 2010. So it's been 13 years that they've been members here at Lineage Church. They moved up to Petaluma. They still drive. I didn't realize how long of a drive until yesterday. Michael calls me about three weeks ago. He said, Pastor, I got a few people that I've led to the Lord out here that want to get baptized can we schedule a baptism at the church? I was like, even better. I'll come out to you and we'll baptize them right where they are. And he's like, okay, let's do it. There were 16 people out there yesterday. And maybe six of them got baptized, something like that. Michael baptized them. I'm like, no, nah, I'm not getting in the water. You baptize them. They were doing it in a river. I got there and saw that river. I was like, nah, you're doing the baptism. I'm <laughs> I'll pray for y'all. <laughs> you led them to Christ. You baptize them. And uh, they were telling me the story. Jose over here. Say hi. Jose's one of them. He didn't get baptized yesterday because I baptized, I baptized you, right? How long ago was that? Last year? Yeah, something like last year, I got to baptize him. But yesterday, he told me the story of how he met Christ. He was working with Michael Jr., Michael Sanchez Jr. And all of a sudden, he started to become curious about the Christian faith and started just asking Michael questions. You guys believe in Jesus, right? So yeah, we believe in Jesus. So what does this mean? What is... And he starts asking these questions. And he asks questions for long enough to where Michael, Michael Jr. goes, you know what? You need to talk to my dad. Come over to my house. So he brought him to the house and he goes, Dad, you need to talk to my friend Jose here. He's been asking questions about Jesus and Christianity. So they sit and they talk for a while. And Michael goes, you know what, Jose? You're ready. He goes, I'm ready for what? You're ready to receive Jesus. I am? Yes, you are. <laughs> well, how do I do it? Take my hand and repeat after me. And he leads him in the sinner's prayer. Wow. Then he leads him in prayer to receive the Holy Spirit. And guess what? He gets baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
And then Michael brought him to the church, and we baptized him, and he joined the church. You know how exciting for me to see that it wasn't my preaching and it wasn't my leader? It had nothing to do with me. But here's what's crazy. It actually had nothing to do with Michael. He was ready. Michael Jr. and Michael Sr. simply recognized that he was ready. Let me redefine evangelism for you. Because we tend to define evangelism in our own minds as convincing people who do not believe and who have no intention of believing to believe that Jesus is Lord. That is not the kind of evangelism that Jesus was advocating. And that's not the kind of evangelism that we advocate. If you think evangelism means go find people and argue them into the kingdom, give up on that right now. And if that's kind of the kind of evangelism that you've tried to do in the past, no wonder nobody believes in Jesus, and no wonder you stopped. I'm glad you stopped that. Because all that does is pesters people and makes them less interested. In, if they were interested in the Christian faith after you got done arguing with them, now they're not interested in it at all. All they did was recognize that God put someone in their midst who was already ready. The Spirit of God had already been working in their heart, in his heart. He was ready. God was already drawing him. The Holy Spirit was already drawing him. The Holy Spirit was already convincing him. God brought him to the place where he was ready. And this is Michael's most powerful gift. He's seen it in his own children. Yesterday he baptized how many of your children, three of your children you baptized yesterday, right? As adults, wow. that he waited for God, instead of chiding them for the way they're living, he waited for God to change their hearts. And they all came to him and said, I'm ready now. He baptized his oldest daughter, Asela, and her husband. Look at that. And to see, and to see these, these young people getting into the, into the river to be baptized, and they were crying. That's the work of the Spirit of God. That's not your work. That's not my work. That's the work of the Spirit of God. Let me define evangelism for you. Behold, the field is white unto harvest, which means that right now in your community, in your family, in your job, in your neighborhood, there are people who are already ready. Yes. Notice what Jesus said. What's the last part of that, uh, that John chapter 4? What, what is it, 35? The last verse that I told you to put up, 38. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Amen. Jesus is defining evangelism here. You're going to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. And the others who have labored is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit get people ready. You don't get people ready. They get people ready. You don't convince people. The Holy Spirit convinces people. There's people who are ready. The problem is that we don't have the discernment to recognize the ready. Here's the prayer you need to begin to pray. 
The prayer is not, Lord, save my, save this person. Save. We're begging God to save. But what Jesus said is, pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers. He didn't say pray that he would save people. He said pray for the laborers because there's people who are already ready. You're not, you, listen, don't pray for folks to be ready. The Holy Spirit is already getting them ready. You pray for eyes to recognize the ready. When you wake up in the morning, Holy Spirit, give me the eyes to recognize the ready. When you walk through your day, God, wherever I am, give me eyes to recognize the ready. Show me the ready, those that you're already working on, those that you're already drawing, those that you're already moving. And here's the beautiful thing. When folks are ready, you don't have to be a theologian to reap them. Because when it comes to evangelism, we all talk, well, I need more training, and I, I don't know enough scriptures. And Do you know John 3, 16? I'll teach it to you right now. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Go home and memorize John 3, 16. Now you're an evangelist. You're prepared. You're now ready. You're equipped with everything you need. But I don't care if you memorize every scripture in the Bible and understand every theological argument and understand every biblical doctrine, but you don't have eyes to recognize the ready. You're more dangerous to the kingdom than you are an asset to it. And this is the simple truth of the message, that if you ask God to give you eyes to recognize the ready, he will give you eyes to recognize the ready. There are people around you who are already ready. You just need eyes to recognize the ready. Isn't that simple? Lord, give me eyes to recognize the ready. You know, I I told you the story before, but I'm going to tell you again. We were in Singapore in 2019 for our sabbatical. We were just hanging out in Southeast Asia. And we had left our bags at a friend's house, but we had moved to a hotel. And I got an Uber to take me to the friend's house to pick up the bags. It was a 20-minute drive. I just chilled in the car. I got there. I told him, wait, because I'm going to Uber back to the hotel. He waited. I Ubered. He accepted. I loaded the bags in his car, and and it was a big van. And I got in the back of the van, and as soon as I settled into the seat, I just heard the Lord say, just felt, it wasn't like hearing a voice from heaven. It was more like just a gentle nudge in my heart. And that gentle nudge just simply said, preach the gospel to this man right now. And so I said, hey, um, are you, uh, do you subscribe to any religion? And he goes, well, you know, I grew up in a, a Buddhist, what did he say? My mother was Buddhist, my father's Muslim, something like that. Well, are you a Buddhist or a Muslim? He goes, nah, I kind of just, you know, I kind of concluded that it's all nonsense. So I don't subscribe to any of it. I said, okay, well, uh, what is your purpose? Like, why do you believe you're alive? I don't know, you know. And I'm like, huh, okay. So do you believe God exists? He said, yeah, I believe God exists. So I'm like just kind of just talking. And I took him to the fatherhood of God. And this is what I said. Do you have a child? He goes, yeah, me and my wife just had a son. And I said, well, what's the purpose? Like, why did you have your son? He goes, oh, man, we just, we were so in love. We wanted to just bring a child into the world. I said, yeah, so you brought your son into the world because you just wanted to love him, right? Yeah. I said, well, you know what I believe? Do you mind if I share with you what I believe? He goes, sure, no problem. I believe that God created you because he just wanted to love you and that he's your father and that all he wants is to just pour out his love upon you. And his love comes to you through his son, Jesus Christ, who bore the price for all of your sins on the cross. And while I'm talking, I'm just, I'm just sharing this. 
all of a sudden, here's what I hear in the front seat. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, snap. <laughs> and I just keep going on that. And the next thing, five minutes later, <laughs> it was a 20-minute drive. We pull up in front of the hotel, and I just reach up and grab his hand. Repeat this prayer after me. And I led him in the sinner's prayer. And while he's inviting Jesus into his heart, he breaks and starts sobbing and wailing and crying. And I get out of the car and grab my bag, and I'm just going to go. I'm like, see you later. <laughs> I mean, I gave him my number. You know, I'm like, you know, stay in touch if you want. Find a church. Here's some churches in the area. He jumps out of the car and ran around the vehicle and grabbed me and buried his face in my chest and just cried and cr wailed and cried. And he looked at me and said, thank you so much. I've never heard anything like this before in my life. Do you know what that was to me? The Holy Spirit said, he's ready. Because I've given the same spiel to people who weren't ready, trying to make them ready, and guess what happens? Nada. I've given the same spiel. Why did it work for him? Because he was ready. And there's folks out there that are ready. The only question is, are you ready? That's the real question. The real question is not, are people out there ready to receive Jesus? The real question is, are you ready to receive people who are ready to receive Jesus? That's the only question. As the worship team's coming, in Isaiah chapter 6, there's this passage where the prophet Isaiah has this vision. He says, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. And he has this powerful encounter with God. But in the midst of this encounter, he hears a voice from the throne. And the voice says this, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? What's crazy is that when you look at this encounter that Isaiah has with God, the whole purpose of the encounter was to empower him to go be a witness. God literally says at the end of this encounter, let me, let me tell you why I showed you my glory. Let me tell you why I showed up. Let me tell you why I poured out my spirit on you. Let me tell you why I set you apart. Let me tell you why I'm giving you such revelation. Because I need somebody to go for me. I, I want to send you. Whom shall I? And he doesn't even ask Isaiah. He says it like a rhetorical question, like nobody's in the room. Whom shall I send? Only one person in the church. Is there anybody who will go for us? Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here am I. It's too loud. Turn that down a little bit. Here am I. Send me. Here am I. Still too loud. Here am I, send me. Isaiah says, Lord, Lord, you need to send somebody? I got you. I got you. I got you. I mean, I know you showed me your glory for a purpose. Here am I. Me, Lord, me. The Lord says, is there anybody? Is there anybody? Is there anybody? Is there anybody? And Isaiah says, me, Lord. Here am I, send me. And the Lord says, for real, you ready? You ready? Isaiah says, I'm ready. I'm ready. And the Lord sends him. The whole book of Isaiah 
comes out of that encounter with God. This is what the Lord is looking for today, is a people that would say, Lord, I'm ready. Here am I, send me. Here am I, I'm ready in my heart. We're so continually saying, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not holy enough, or I'm not smart enough, or I'm not spiritual enough, or I don't have enough, you know, education. I, I don't know enough. But God is saying, no, 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 no. All I'm looking for is a heart that's ready. A heart that's ready. A heart that's ready. Bow your heads right now before the Lord. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that you would raise up the ready. And she invited me to come to her home and talk to their whole family about Jesus. Isn't that powerful? You know, some of my most cherished salvation moments were moments I was never looking for. I, was, I never tried to make it happen. I didn't anticipate it. It just, the Holy Spirit is always setting stuff up for you that you didn't realize. I got a call one time years ago for a family. The father of the family had died. And they didn't have a church. But the mother called me and said, you know, I found your church in the phone book. That's back when they had phone books. And I need somebody to do the funeral for my husband. I said, sure, can I come talk to your family? She's like, sure. So I go over there, and it's not only the mother, but her kids and their spouses and their children. It's like 20 plus people in the house. So I'm just talking to them about bereavement and grief. And, and the mother says, can you tell us how to get right with God? Can you tell us how to get, bring our, our Christian faith into alignment? Because I mean, we know that Jesus is real, but we just don't know how to walk with him or how to believe in him. Could you just tell us what to do? And I was like, sure. And I preached the gospel and most of them got saved that day. And several of them actually came to the church for a long time and got discipled. And then they found a church out near their area and many of them are still walking with Jesus. And the crazy thing is, after that, I got to do multiple weddings and a couple more funerals for that family. It was just an open door. Do you know God has open doors for you that you wouldn't believe? And, but the enemy wants you to disqualify yourself in your heart. Say, well, I'm not Pastor Benjamin and I don't know what to say and I'm not. You know what? There's some folks who wouldn't listen to me because I'm Pastor Benjamin. But they would listen to you. There's some folks who would only listen to a shy person and you're just shy enough for them to hear you. You know what I'm saying? All it takes, it's all it takes is desire. Lord, give me eyes to recognize the ready. Give me eyes to recognize the ready. Lift your hands to the Lord. Father, I speak your blessing over this house today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray for each and every one of us that you would give us eyes to recognize the ready. And each and every one of us together says, here am I, Lord, send me. Here am I, send me. I just speak blessing and encouragement over every heart to me. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Come on, just give God a shout of praise in this place. Give him a shout of praise. Come on, bump that track up. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. This is a turning point today. The harvest is upon us, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. May the joy of the Lord be your strength.